0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Share the Load, hosted by myself, Mia Schachter, and engineered by my pal, Pete Ziarko.
1: That's me. Hi, Mia. Hi, Pete. Can you tell listeners what Share the Load is all about?
0: Share the Load is about the division of labor in relationships. So that's all kinds of labor, like emotional labor, domestic, financial, and other kinds of labor, and all of your relationships. So your friendships, your family, your coworkers, and your romantic relationships. Sounds like you put a lot of effort into
1: it. And that's a lot of good info for everybody to listen to. So they should check it out and go to patreon.com slash share the load. And I hear there are multiple subscriber levels of support.
0: That's right. There are several subscriber levels. The $10 level, for example, includes a shout out to your own product, show or offering on the next two episodes and one monthly 10 minute over the phone boundary guidance session with me.
1: And to see the rest of the tiers that Mia talks about, check out patreon.com slash share the load. And how else can the listeners support the show, Mia?
0: Listeners can write a review on Apple Podcasts, post about it on social media, and share it with friends. Very cool. Well, let's start the show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Mia Schachter. I'm an intimacy coordinator for film, TV, and theater, and a writer and educator in Los Angeles. Today I'm talking to Ann James, an advocate for intimacy in the world of arts media, focusing on people of color in the leadership in this field. Anne is the queer Black art maker. Hi Anne. Hi. Hi, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank um, you. So I always start by asking um, if you have any kind of formative early memories of uh, understanding or learning how labor was kind of divided um, like within your family structure.
1: How labor was divided? Um, Well, my mother and father uh, were kind of like the Jackie and John Kennedy of both of their families. So uh, they both went to um, institutions of higher learning. They both attained master's and my mother a PhD. Um, they were very entrepreneurial a lot. My father was uh, in the military, so I'm an army brat, which I think put my mom into a more traditional mother role. But I, I always remember her studying and I always remember her putting education first. Um, she's a damn good cook as well. So (laughs) (laughs) we didn't miss a meal. Um, but my father helped in the kitchen as well. So I think they both were very well-rounded parents and the roles were divided, traditional to the 70s and 80s way of of being brought up uh, until they divorced when I was 13. And uh, so then my father was a very distant, kind of kept away from us figure uh, but had already instilled these very strong parental um, connections with, I know, me uh, and my brother, who was six years younger, maybe not so much. But then my mother took over all the roles uh, of parenting and uh, created created a different kind of balance in our lives. But, yeah, in my formative years, the labor was distributed equally. and. Um, I'm glad for that.
0: Yeah, that's really unusual. (laughs) Yeah, it is, totally. Yeah, and how does that, um, like do you see that kind of carry into your life and how you perceive um, like gender roles and gender dynamics in your adult life?
1: Well, I, I, I really don't like working in the yard, so that's a real big passion of my dad's that did not pass down. Um, but other than that, I think I'm pretty well adjusted gender wise as far as what I feel my responsibilities are and, and what I think society wants me to be as opposed to who I really am. And I think who I really Really? am comes from living in a household where those gender roles weren't as strict. So yeah, I like driving fast cars. I like working on cars. I think they're one of my patches. <laughs> I watch Forged and Fire like a
0: mofo. <laughs> uh, wish I could be a blacksmith. Uh, I think I knew that about you. I think you told me that once and I was like, yeah, that, that checks out. <laughs>
1: addicted to Forged and Fire. Sorry, not plugging. Just saying. Yeah.
0: They're not paying us. Yeah, metal and
1: fire right here.
0: Hmm. That's so funny.
1: Yeah, but I'm a, a great Cook. I mean, these things that people think of as male and female or gender, gender-specific roles in society. Uh, I say fuck them. Like, I'm not. I'm not that person that that says that you're this, so you need to be this. Because, as we know, there are over 20 gender-specific. There, there's it, as many people as there are on the planet. I'm arguing mm-hmm. that there's that many genders.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think there's something that came up for me recently with a friend was this idea that, um, you know, even people who do feel aligned with their assigned gender at birth, um, like, well, that, that that they're kind of missing out on the processing around gender that, like, queer and especially non-binary or trans folks do because, because of the, you know, the way that, like, our bodies may not be in line with what society tells us that we're supposed to do or whatever, you know, when you're also kind of given the opportunity to, um, like restructure your relationships and, and sort of restructure what's expected in your sex life and stuff like that. Like you, you do a lot of unpacking around that stuff that I think people who align with one extreme don't necessarily, um, get to do. Um, but that, that's something that's like, that's a kind of, practice and investigation that, like, that perhaps we would all benefit from no matter what our gender is. And it sounds like, it's it it sounds like with your, with your family, like, because you just, you just said, you know, fuck them to gender roles, but it almost sounds like it's just, it's not even something that you need to fight because it was ingrained early on that there just, like, wasn't a thing that you were supposed to be doing on one side or the other.
1: Well, I mean, for instance, you know, my my mom and dad went to a lot of formal engagements when I was growing up, and I would always remember, you know, my mother coming down the staircase in a beautiful gown, and my dad in his tux, and so that was never flipped. Like, my mom never rocked yeah, a yeah. tuxedo, and my dad never rocked a ball gown, but so there were clear definitions as far as physicality and appearance Mm -hmm. about the roles that they had but as far as sharing work and dividing labor there were very few lines of delineation if that Mm. makes
0: sense no that that totally makes sense i don't think that i think that you know gender presentation is such a different thing from like how we behave it's like right completely separate um that makes me wonder about how how these ideas around um like who's kind of responsible for what has come up in your in your work. Um and has maybe even led you to your work. Can you
1: well I would say out? yeah more more than than gender specific specificity. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> mine has come down I think into the present moment as what society thinks of as far as cultural responsibility and the delineation of workforce and jobs. Like right now, essential workers, primarily African-American and Hispanic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet, you know, being responsible for keeping this country going um, as opposed to people not of color kind of running the machine. Right. So my work has kind of folded down more into people of color versus white people than it has for genders. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, I know that you, you're, you're writing, about um intimacy on stage and uh and how the there's been how the how trauma to the black body specifically has maybe been overlooked or not really addressed um can you talk about that and how that has informed kind of where your work is headed now a little bit
1: yeah sure i, I i'm kind of going with the idea that stories of trauma on the black body have always been told the question is now who is helping to orchestrate those stories safely Mm. i feel that the writing of late has been remarkable it has also dredged up a lot of our pain as americans when it comes to the treatment of people of color um i can bring to one example slave play which i saw in Mm -hmm. new york And I feel as though that was a remarkable opportunity for me to investigate that story, which I have no problem with. The writers have the right to write. Uh, I am not into censorship. But when we're talking about getting that play into the rehearsal room and who is helping be the doula for that story.
0: Oh, I love that term.
1: Uh yeah. I, I think that if there were more people of color acting as the midwives of these stories, I think we would have more protection for our actors of color. And that is where I feel I fit in the intimacy world as not only an intimacy director, but also as a historian of intimacy direction and how it evolves and how it includes people of color into the leadership and into the formative structure of the theory. Uh, Mm. I think that uh, in the beginning, this kind of training came from a wonderful place. I know the people that actually Coined the phrase and developed the initial ideas of intimacy direction and the need for it and intimacy coordination over in Hollywood and in film and TV. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a problem with how it got started. It's just now that we're in the third year or so of its popular absorption into entertainment um, communication there hasn't been to my, in my opinion, the embracing of people of color to the numbers that would equate the stories of people of color being told. Yeah. Um, So we can dig down deep into that if you want to, but that's kind of a, an overwash of, of why I feel that this should be documented that this birth should be documented. I know I keep going back to that metaphor, but it really is. I love
0: that metaphor.
1: It really is a a, a very beautiful place for us to be as a a society where we have the opportunity to accelerate the inclusion of people of color into this particular field because it is so Mm consent-based and and anti-power dynamic in the room or the equalization of power dynamic in the room, uh social uh social absorption of the commute the the communal american pain the history of our american pain uh it's just a beautiful time to bring forth this this birth of inclusion and i am not willing to sit back and not let it happen because i think the time is now especially in the time of COVID 19 where we are forced to sit back and reflect Uh, Mother Nature Mm -hmm. has given us kind of a communal time out to think about where we're going in the future, how we're going to impact uh, the lives of children that are coming up behind us, how we're going to tell stories that uh, not only utilize the history of our country, but celebrate the fact that we as artists can sit at a table and talk about these very difficult issues and have people of color and leadership lead the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, I, I, I see the way that it is. It's just not only like, not only is this field predominantly white, but it's, it's mostly even um like this this job the awareness of this job is is pervading primarily white communities in in the entertainment industry and so it seems like there's there's both a problem of like information dissemination and a problem of include like active inclusion um and yeah Right. And I think that that needs active, <laughs> active, uh, like, work to change that is, is necessary. It's not something that's just going to change because we, like, share on Instagram or, or Facebook or something. And it's, it's something that actually needs people who currently do the work to reach out and, you know, wrap our arms around people and bring us all together.
1: Yeah, because that is the nature of an intimacy director is to reach out. Sure. And I feel like there there are individuals in the business that feel like they're they have to protect what they have for whatever reason. And that there's this underlying idea of scarcity and that then that makes people gatekeep, and then that what keeps people of color out of the mix because you're only gonna refer people who are around you. Right, of course, right. So the fact that there is a huge vacuum in training for people of color means that the people who are getting the jobs will not be of color because, you know, and then there's really complicated, this complicated idea of certification and what does that mean economically, uh, the trainings are in faraway places that are very expensive, yeah. um, you know, which is a problem for everyone who wants to get training. But certainly it is illuminated in, in uh, people of color who want to, to get this training. Um, yeah. yeah. So the, the referential idea, the idea of you only refer people that are around you that you know, really makes it important for trained intimacy directors and coordinators to reach out to people who do not do not look like them right in order to balance the scales of the industry
0: yeah i think this this kind of commodification of access idea is like is you know overwhelmingly burdensome on people who both can't afford the access and also don't Passively receive the access. I think that you know, for for me as a child of the industry, and as a person who had a background in theater, and you know, got referred to a job as a casting assistant on a TV show. You know, that's how I came upon this field. Um, and I wasn't directly referred to, um, Amanda Blumenthal, the intimacy coordinator who trained me, but I was directly referred to my position on that TV show that put me in the position to meet her. Right. So like that, that is a passive form of access that I was able to receive because of the position that I was in literally from my birth, (laughs) you know, with, with a father in the industry. Sure. Yeah.
1: And that's not anything that, I mean, I don't feel people should feel bad about that or or feel, you know, that, gee, I'm in this position of privilege and I've got this. Let's just wash that right out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the guilt is not helping. We can't.
1: It's not positive and it's not helping anyone. Exactly. That's kind of an um, an understanding uh tiny uh, damage to sure. you know what I mean it's like you can't I mean genetics like what are you gonna do uh and your and your dad's decision to pursue what I'm sure was a very difficult position for him to uh kind of maybe not get but certainly keep in sure. the the land of sharks that is Hollywood yeah yeah um so bless him for that and bless (laughs) you for that but now now is the time for you know like i said for trained intimacy director coordinators to reach out and not be afraid that there won't be enough work because certainly when hollywood when this beast of hollywood wakes up again Mm -hmm. it would to the advantage of trained intimacy coordinators to have people to refer uh, that uh, to jobs that are more appropriate to right. trained coordinators. I'm not just saying go willy nilly out there and say,
0: "Oh, oh yeah. I know <laughs> oh, black people." Like- look, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: you're in. You know, that's not what I'm yeah. saying because the training is very, very important. Although I do have a comment to make about this training situation. But anyway, um, yes, I think it's important for intimacy coordinators to, who are working in the field to branch out and to be more uh, open to even doing small trainings or sh- letting people shadow that right. don't have an opportunity to shadow, just small steps uh to incorporate people of color into the batter that is into the sea court.
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking about like when you're talking about this this referential idea like um you know, if those people are not in your immediate circle, then you reach into your slightly wider circle And if and if you're still finding people who aren't necessarily like the most, like, we're not looking for unqualified people. There's no shortage no. of qualified people. Right. Um, it's, so, but I also, I, I don't want to get too off track. I'm, I'm interested in this idea of, of guilt because I think that mm. it paralyzes people. And I think that it also makes it, makes the idea of talking about race, not just talking about racism, but talking about race at all really scary for a lot of white people because they're afraid that they're going to feel really bad. Right. And then I also want to talk to you about this, this scarcity idea because the way that you have completely rejected that notion has been so inspiring to me personally, both professionally and personally, truly. Um, but i want to hear your thoughts on this on this guilt idea
1: well i think i've had a very um interesting walk in life when it comes to being able to empathize with the times while also looking forward and kind of seeing where trends will go that i've i've lived in on four continents i've directed over 150 productions i've met a lot of people from different cultures and backgrounds and i think all of that that makes up what is this being and james has always been able to kind of see a little bit ahead Um, just in my experience, not like in an overall Nostradamus kind of fucking way. Yeah. Yeah. But like, to me, the math adds up this way. Intimacy coordination and direction has had about a year and a half to two years to make itself known as an acceptable and necessary practice. So it's a baby, it is in its infancy. When we start talking about opening theater up again and opening Hollywood back up, it is only obvious that there will be people who are backlogged and yet prohibited from moving forward without some sort of intimacy doctrine in place. Brad Pitt is not going to go on set and make out with some person who's just getting their first film or even another star yeah, yeah. without some sort of intimacy being in place because of the threat of death. Right. That's not funny, but I laugh. So, but, but it's like, it's, it's really, <laughs> it's, it's, really, like
0: it's really
1: like that. I know. I know. I was shocked. Come on. I mean, you know, there's no way there's going to be a scarcity. If anything else, just like before COVID-19 shut us down, there were projects that were being formulated and created and shopped and worked out that, in Hollywood specifically, that specifically in the Latinx community, like Vida, you've got, you know, you've got all these shows that are talking about sexuality in a cultural format. Um, So why wouldn't it be best to have a Hispanic person on a Hispanic show? Like, why wouldn't it? You know what I mean? So all of that is now backed up and backlogged and we're just right. waiting. We're waiting. Not only are the shows that are supposed to have studio time waiting and getting their studio time passed by, but they're also writers writing, writing, yes. writing, I know. Writing. I've been thinking about that too. And pitching and pitching and p- the pitching is still going. Right. Auditions, auditions are still going. Like, these things that that people out of the industry don't know is that, yes, Hollywood has taken a hiatus from production, but the pre-production hasn't stopped.
0: Right. I have friends who are actors who are still sending in self-tapes. Hello. Yeah, right. And writers' rooms are just writing from home. I mean, what I keep thinking is, like, everything that was in production was halted. But everything that was in prep is mostly still in prep and then production's going to start again and you're going to have everything that was halted plus everything that was in prep. I don't see there being like not enough work for people. I don't um, either. Right. and But also, as you said, and I love this idea, like I think that the, the work of an intimacy coordinator is actually going to expand. And where we're needed, not just on TV and film sets, but in other areas is, is also going to expand and ripple out. There's such a need. I mean, I think I was telling you this, like I started teaching these consent and boundary classes and I've been so struck by the fact that in this, (laughs) thank you, in this moment where we're not allowed to touch each other, people are still hungry and eager to learn about how to incorporate the practice and language and vocabulary of consent and boundaries into their lives. Like that to me speaks volumes about where we are kind of as a culture that like we want we're hungry for this. We want to be able to do this. We want to be able to state our boundaries and advocate for ourselves. We want help doing that. And I think that there's such a misunderstanding about what intimacy coordination is, which is why, you know, we show up on a set and people are like, I don't need a therapist. Or like, are you going to, oh, excuse me for cursing. Like I've had a director say that to me, like, pardon my language. I'm like, I don't give a shit what the fuck you want to say on your set, you know, but I'm, I'm here to make sure that everyone is, comfortable and that when it comes to the the sex scene that we're about to do that everyone knows ahead of time so that there's no surprises what we're going to do so everyone knows where it's okay to touch each other and so that they can explore and play and be creative within those boundaries within those Mm. restraints because that you know just like if you if someone gives you a prompt for a for an essay it's a lot easier than when someone says write three thousand words yeah you know it's the same thing
1: I agree. And even things like, you know, what really, you know, gives me joy right now, it kind of pumps my nads, if you will, is <laughs> this idea of something like a simple handshake right. on screen. Mm. Are we going,
0: are we I know going you're to, you're going with this. I love it.
1: As a society, are we going to have to, re-choreograph the handshake Yeah, and how is that going to reflect in the way we film in other words are these characters from 1990 Mm -hmm. in a film from 1990 are they still gonna shake hands or are we going to create something equal to and as intimate as a handshake in order to be able to film. And that's going to start at the writer. That's going to start at this actor does not want to shake hands
0: skin to skin. Right, right.
1: So that is where the intimacy coordinator comes in, you know, as kind of this choreographer that has to find a way to establish the intimacy of a handshake Mm -hmm. without the actor shaking hands.
0: That is so interesting because, you know, toward, right, like, up until all production halted, I was starting to notice that I was getting called in more and more for, like, for, for you know, network TV stuff where it was, like, it was just a kiss or it was just a grope or whatever. And people were often, like, you know, why do we need an intimacy coordinator? And I was, like, look, it's up to you. Like, I, there is no uh, requirement right now for needing an intimacy coordinator anywhere except at HBO for the time being. But if you want to tell your actors, we we are prioritizing your comfort level, your emotional safety, then having an intimacy coordinator is great. And also, if you want to have them get used to me as a person on their on their set, this is a better, you know, this this baby step is better because then by the time that you have a sex scene, they know who I am and it's a little less weird for me to come in to do something quite so extreme. But what you're getting at is that what is going to fall under under the umbrella of intimacy, the umbrella itself is actually going to expand. Because if we're now talking about placing my head on your shoulder as an act of intimacy or um, talking to you this far, you know, three inches from your face or holding your hand, like if those are now things that need to be negotiated because of safety, And not just physical safety, but emotional safety. And when you have an actor, right, who is no longer saying, I'm not comfortable doing topless nudity, but rather saying, I'm not comfortable shaking hands, then like for us to come in and navigate those boundaries, talk to writers and say, listen, like, here's an idea that I had. Here's an idea that the actor had. Does this stay true to the story? Does this not, does this still like, hold with the integrity of what it is that you're trying to say um, without pushing the actor past what they're comfortable with.
1: Correct.
0: I think you're totally right.
1: So how can there be a scarcity? In other words, I mean, I feel like there should be national conferences on intimacy. I mean, so we can get our shit together and develop this choreography together. There's no solidarity. Well, I'm not going to say there's no solidarity that's hyperbolic, But certainly, there's no communal agreement on how we're going to move forward with this. And this is me, a newbie, coming in, just kind of going, I'm a group dynamics person. Right. You know, I'm just seeing that this group is kind of fucked up. And, uh, you know, like, what can I do to help bring everybody? you know, together because it is important work. I would never commit so much of my time and money to learning about this industry if I didn't feel as a director, uh, African-American queer director, that it was important work. Um, And, you know, I've been in this business a long time and I've seen it go from pre-AIDS to AIDS, to SARS, H-N1N1, all that, all that, all of that. I've seen the whole progress basically from the 80s till now. And while it is enlightening to see that people are so concentrated on making other people feel respected and comfortable, it's not where we came from. And we all have horror stories of of all of that Michigas. But where we are now is that we have, as intimacy professionals, we have a great opportunity to incorporate all of these things in this time of reflection so that we can face forward out into the professional theater world and the professional film and television world and say, hey, this is what this is what we're going to do coming forward. And I'm not talking yeah. about the SAG guidelines. I'm no, not no, talking no. about them. No, because that was well, created yeah. from some other, some other document. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really feeling those guidelines, but anyway, mm-hmm.
0: well, there's something, there's something, at least there's something. And I was involved in, in, part of the drafting of that document, and that's how we kind of all felt too, was we were like, it's something, you know? And we, and they yeah. kind of, we did, we got to a point with it, I was only there for the for the final meeting, and they kind of got to a point with it where they were like, is this good enough? Like, can we just kind of say, this is a jumping off point, it's an introduction for people as to what this is, this isn't everything that you do, and we all kind of were like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's I it's agree a start. with that.
1: I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. At least there's something on the books.
0: Right. And something official coming from the union, which I think um you know, in order to get the talks moving about actually having us be in the union, that was that was very necessary and I think it's great that that they got there with it. Um this thing that you're talking about with like with the I'm just kind of circling back on this this referential thing. Because what you're talking about with, like, Vida and and, and other shows that are telling stories of people of color, um, you know, what I would like to see and be able to do myself is for a producer that I've worked with on another show to say to me, hey, I'm working on a new show. Working with you is great. Um, Do you have a recommendation for somebody else who looks like my cast? And that I would be able to say, yeah, I have so-and-so and so-and-so, and, and, like, I stand behind them, and I think they're fantastic at what they do. And right now, that is simply not the case. Well, and you can say, no,
1: not at this time, but I would like to have someone shadow me that looks like your cast.
0: Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Bingo. I'm going to make a note of that.
1: Not at this time, but that's coming, and the way that's coming – is because people who look like me should have a person that looks like your cast shadow in any way, shape, or form. Because the people who are interested in making that hurdle right. are are out here. We are out here. Uh, and it, it, some of us have the ability and the and the certain amount of privilege to be able to come and shadow. Like I I know people who would fly across the country to come and shadow you.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by me. I teach boundary and consent classes on Zoom on a sliding scale. These offer a framework for us to practice the language of consent and find and communicate our own boundaries. I also do one-on-one sessions privately. I'll let Afomia share her experience with you. Doing boundaries and consent work with Mia has been one of the most transformational experiences of my life. I remember when I began this work with her earlier this year, I was terrified. I didn't really know what to expect and was scared that I was going to make a fool of myself. And I'm so glad that I went because it's nothing like that. One of the most powerful things Mia ever said to me was that doing this work gives you the ability to understand yourself and to then give the gift to others to not cross your boundary. And it's been so rewarding and so amazing and I've literally recommended her to everyone I know She's a remarkable person and the work is so individualized that I truly believe that everyone can get something out of it. Thank you, Afomia, for that incredible recommendation. You can find the forums to register for class or book a private session through the link in my bio on Instagram at Mia Schachter. And on with the show. I can't believe I've never thought of that, that I could even say that, like, right, I could say to somebody like, you know, I don't at the moment, but I agree with you. That's Really important, and the way to make sure that that happens for next season is that if you would let me shadow have someone shadow me, um, who I think would be like prime for this for yes. this show for next season, yeah, yeah, bingo! Oh my god, thank you for that. Um, and that's and just a
1: very the- organic way to lift the 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 ceiling. Right, it's just a very organic way to lift
0: the ceiling. Yeah, to lift the ceiling and to like extend the embrace of you know who it is that we are welcoming into this field and this industry. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's interesting. The question of shadowing is really tricky given what we do because um, it's yeah. a very you know it's the most private moments on set. It's the most bare bones. Uh, Cruise, but I have shadowed and and but I also was told that I couldn't shadow on certain shows they didn't want you know they didn't well, want that people
1: that should not that that should be abolished because, yeah I think it's and I'm, I'm gonna say it yeah I'm gonna say that putting my foot down and saying that is another way to gatekeep in this fucking industry. And producers need to say, look, this is what is going to happen on this particular set that I have control over. But they're Mm -hmm. not going to do that until you and I or people like us get into that room with producers, with directors, with the people in leadership and say,
0: Right. This, this is, is how it's going to happen. Yeah.
1: This is yeah. what's going to happen. And you're going to have to suck it up. The the shadow, the people who are shadowing aren't asking for a, anything.
0: Right. No, they're and not.
1: They're not asking for anything. And the agents are going to have to understand it. The managers are going to have to understand it. The lawyers, you know,
0: yeah. The lawyers I mean, are going to have
1: to understand it. It's like, why would a person who is shadowing be any less ethical than the person sure. who is who has the job.
0: I don't know if it's a, I mean, I just, to kind of play both sides here, I think that when, when we're coming from it, from the perspective of like how change happens, I'm completely in agreement with you. When I'm coming at, at it from the perspective of like, talking to a particular actor who says, you know what, this is a really vulnerable scene for me. I don't want any, like, new people there while I'm doing it. Like, that's when I start to understand. But I think the, the middle ground is just trying to get people on board with, like, the underlying mission of why that person's there. That person's not there to, like, look at you on camera. You know, they're not there to, like, objectify you. They're also not even there to, like make some money or even further their own career, if we if it's if it is very clear that the idea is to expand the reach of the intimacy coordination field. Um, especially if it's if it's I mean, I'm just imagining like myself on Insecure coming in with a with a shadow who who is a, a black intimacy coordinator. Like I think that that, that show is so committed to um, to that mission that I, I do think that, you know, that's a place where that would be embraced. I just can also imagine a certain actor just being like, you know what? Like not on this one. I don't you want know? to. Yeah.
1: But think about all the hundreds and hundreds. I think Netflix cranked out 800 new products this year. Holy moly. Netflix alone. Yeah. 800 new shows. And, or new acquisitions, I should say. Sure, sure. So, you can't tell me that no. some of those shows that were in production wouldn't be amenable to that idea of shadowing. Can we think of another no. word other than shadow? Other than shadowing? Things like um, black people being in <laughs> shadow. Oh. <laughs>
0: Oh god. I, um, why I got to
1: be a shadow? Why I got to be a shadow? Yeah,
0: why are you <laughs> Oh man. Um well, I just, well, there's I a just term... but No, but no. I I hear you. Like let's find a better term. I think there's also the term trailing, but that's not a very that doesn't sound great either. Like chemical yeah. trail? No, no, like um, <laughs> I know what you mean. That, well, that's what they call it in the restaurant industry. Like I I'm trailing you for the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but a trail doesn't sound – it sounds like there's a hierarchy there.
1: Yeah.
0: I know. You, like, well, but well, well, but there, there is. Well, there is. Yeah. Well, I could say this is my trainee. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't mind that. Could I bring a trainee to your set? That's not terrible. That's
1: not terrible. And that, terrible. I mean,
0: there's a hierarchy, but obviously there – there is a hierarchy. I'm the one doing the job. I mean, that's the point. Yeah. To learn. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the whole point. And um, I'm just
1: saying, we could maybe revisit that if we should write an article together to Variety about why you need shadowing
0: on your set. Yeah. Yeah. I'm game. Let's do that. Invitation. Okay.
1: Right okay. here. It's recorded.
0: Okay. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's talk about that after. Okay. Um. I want to just quickly ask you about, I don't want to get too personal, but I mean specifically like not in your career. I'm curious yeah. what, kind of, what kind of work, I'm hesitant to say work, I think labor, like what kind of labor do you find yourself doing most often and most easily in your life? Uh, I mean, cause what, what I I'll just tell you, like knowing, knowing you as I do, as you were saying, like this sort of collecting people, like that is a form of labor that I see that seems to be like innate to you and is also such a beautiful, um, a beautiful thing to have as like, not just a desire, but something that you're also very good at. So that's, my question that was a leading question but like that's that's what <laughs> that's well, the kind you know, of labor that i'm getting at is what well I'm
1: getting. i you know i, I have been I, first of all let's just say all of this first uh i was a very shy child mm, like i, I did not cute. i did not speak to people outside of my family until i was four and a half and yet i was reading books like well above my age level, but Mm -hmm. I was very, very shy. And then my mom put me into a dance class where I could express myself and everything that I had inside, but I didn't have to speak. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: that's when I got that first round of applause. Wow. And I have never stopped (laughs) chasing that applause. So, yeah, so I am a collector of people and I am also a connector of people. Mm -hmm. So I'd be that person in the room who's dragging someone over and saying, you two need to go. You need to meet each other. Goodbye.
0: Right. Right. You know,
1: and they both trust me enough to know, oh, my God, I should be knowing you. Right, and I leave, and I leave it alone. Um, several marriages have happened because of that. I'm not kidding. Uh, I, I believe it. <laughs> so I am a collector of people, and I am a connector of people. I feel that those are my labors in mm. this time on the planet. Is is that I want to connect uh, people who will benefit from knowing one another, and I happen to know a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so. Yeah, I I love that. I mean, and I think I felt that from you so quickly and I think I also feel that way about Yehuda and I think like I I know. I I cannot I'll just describe.
1: <laughs> I cannot talk about Yehuda right now.
0: <laughs> Why? I
1: L-O-V-E-
0: <laughs> him I'm From an so, instant. So I did the same thing. I collected, I put you two together. I mean, I also, and I don't know if he's listening, but I feel like my life was improved by knowing Yehuda 100%. And you know what's funny? Actually, I hadn't thought of this. Like, you and I met via facebook like i saw you post something and i was like i like yeah. how she's thinks," <laughs> and i reached <laughs> out to you and then we met and yehuda also contacted me on facebook because he said you know i'm also trained to be an intimacy coordinator and actually you know what's amazing you two both i think and this goes back to the the gatekeeping thing that you said I think there are so many people who are training to be intimacy coordinators like you and like Yehuda who have, who built this field as much as anybody who's currently doing training and certifying people. And I, what I would love to see is more of a, I think what you were saying, like getting us all together and being like, what methods have you used? You know, let's share, let's learn from each other instead of, Um, like, you know, you just kind of go through the motions and get your certification and then you can do this, but rather like people have been doing this for like, Yehuda started doing this. I think he said in 2007, you know, like, what do we, what do we have to share with each other and learn from each other? And like, my background is very, very different, but has its own offerings. And I think there's, um, I would love to see like a sharing platform or, or conference or whatever that would look like where we're not looking to people who are certified for the only, as the only source of guidance in this field. Yeah. Um, well, yeah.
1: There are two, yeah.
0: there are two camps, you know? Yeah. There are two camps. And
1: I, I understand the idea of certification, but I also understand the reason to not be certified. But well, to be I'll tell qualified, you qualified to be qualified yes. but not necessarily this piece of paper that says I've ticked all these boxes and that doesn't make you a good intimacy coordinator or no. intimacy director the piece of paper being able to go through the motions and tick the boxes of the people in charge does not make you a good anything
0: what I makes agree you with you. good
1: what makes you good is the training and the time on
0: the field and also i would say like an underlying sort of personality type like i do think that in order to be a good intimacy coordinator you have to be a person who makes people comfortable and that's not necessarily something that is trainable exactly Uh, you can hone it i think it's a skill that you can sharpen but i think that that kind of has to be innate um, in order to be But a don't good, you think
1: the industry will repel those people and they will move on to do other things like Isn't
0: that interesting? That's something that I mean oof you just got into my brain. I I I in this time of reflection and solitude, I have been doing a lot of reconsideration of like my values and how I want to live in alignment with them and not just in terms of the stuff that you and I are talking about, but like in terms of um, even thinking about even something, I did this 21 day abundance. Um, I did this 21 day abundance ch- meditation challenge at the beginning uh-huh. of this. It was actually bizarre timing. It was bizarre timing. I started it a week before we were told to shelter in place. And so I was doing Whoa. it and then, and then all of a sudden it was like abundance like, are you kidding me? We have no, <laughs> there is no abundance. What? Yeah. I have no work. But, but in that abundance challenge, it was like, you know, there was an assignment one day that said, list, list the things that are sort of the, the symbolic markers of abundance to you. And then hmm. go through and identify what the values are behind those symbolic markers. So one of my symbolic markers is I really want to own a home. And when I think about, when I did this exercise, I was like, you know what, owning a home is not Simply a marker of financial success or an investment for me um, that'll you know grow and pay off and I can leave it to my children or whatever, whatever. What it really means to me is that I can live much more in alignment with my values because I can set down roots. I could adopt some foster dogs that needed homes during this crisis. I could let people stay with me who needed to not pay rent for a while. I could plant a garden. You know, like all of a sudden I was like, you know, having a home is so much more than the the financial marker of what that means it's it's a much larger thing that would actually allow me to to live in a way that that feels a lot truer to myself um of course now and be like,
1: more of a community yes benchmark you know not a benchmark but like a a, a stable a in the community a refuge right yes a refuge yes. a place of refuge you know yeah. for people and animals that are struggling that don't
0: have act. Right. right. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to now That's kind of re, yeah. And like, I'm really trying now to look at, look at my life a little bit and say like, what are, you know, what is appealing, like what is attractive to me at this point to spend my time on and how do I want to impact people and where can I make the biggest impact? And, um, you know i don't know if the if the entertainment industry is where i want to be i'm i'm not sure i haven't made a tr- decision but like as you're saying yeah as a person who is i'm kind of a softy i wear my heart on my sleeve um i i have like a thick skin and you know i don't i'm i'm i think i'm strong in that sense i'm not like a pushover um and i don't take things too personally i don't think but but yeah, like as a person who's, who values the ability to like make people feel safe and, and comfortable, I don't know. <laughs> you know, yeah, maybe the industry is not going to be able to well, stay that to people to, like that.
1: You have to look at the people who, who are drawn to you. Are they people who are empathic and kind and concerned with the world vision and worldview? Are there people who yeah. are vapid and stingy and greedy? No. Because, because we, <laughs> yeah, of course not, because I'm one of the people that you're um, around. <laughs> yes, very much. But, but my point true. my point is is that you are, in part, who you surround yourself with. And so one of the easy markers of checking in with yourself and how you're doing is to look at the people you surround yourself with and look at them uh, as social cues as to, to, to how you're doing. Um, yeah. I know I, I was attracted to you because you care. You have a genuine concern. And mm. a lot of people don't care uh, uh, in, in this world. They live their lives one step ahead, uh, you know, one, one step at a time, which is great, but also you have to have a vision. And I think you have, you care and you have a vision. It might not be a clear vision. It might be COVID cloudy right now,
0: <laughs>
1: but you will come out of this. And I think with, you know, the the qualities that your parents have instilled in you, uh, not just your parents, but your ancestors, your DNA, what mm-hmm. makes up you uh, will guide you in, in the right direction. I really, really, really feel that.
0: Yeah, I know that you're talking to me, but I think you're also talking to the proverbial you, us, yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's yeah. one of my benchmarks of my, uh, of, of how I'm doing, especially in this void that we're living in. I spend a lot of time mm-hmm. in my head. I know a lot of people spend a lot of time in their heads. And what gets me out of my head is having extremely um, gratifying conversations with people who have common, not exactly the same, but common points of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it keeps me centered. It gives me a, kind of a line of sanity um, <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in, in this weird time uh, of introspection on a large scale. Um, so yes, I'm talking to the communal
0: me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: when I say that.
0: Yeah. Well, we have to wrap up, um, that flew by. (laughs) Um, in wrapping up, I would like to ask you if there are three people, experiences, or pieces of media, whether it's a book, movie, album, whatever, um, that have been formative for you and gotten you to exactly this moment in your life?
1: Hmm. Well, um, there's a specific author that, you know, when I was turning into a young adult, kind of drew me me out of myself and into kind of a worldview and that uh, that author is Alice Walker mm. um, uh, she was very provocative to me as a writer and it kind of set me on this journey of of uh, embracing my queerness and mm. embracing my African-american roots um, so she was, pivotal in uh, in my direction uh, uh, of of who I am. Um, I think as far as theater in general, um, the magic of sitting in a dark room mm. with a group of people uh, watching another group of people or one person, tell a story is something that allows me to rest at night Um, I Mm. have a lot of insomnia um, right now and so I guess that means that theater to me has always been a place of refuge and safety and comfort Um, Mm. so I find myself watching a lot of uh, tapings of Broadway shows and Tony Awards, like I'm all about the Tony Awards and watching my community gather in celebratory um, and congratulatory uh, environments. That gives me peace and it gives me solace, and it is absolutely a part of my DNA um, mm-hmm. that I love. Uh, and then I guess, you know, I get inspiration from people in right now, specifically in um, in the medical field, in the medical arena, the, the essential workers, people who are out there risking their lives and risking contagion in their families to keep us all safer. And, I you know, I wear this blue lipstick every day to remind myself that there are people out there fighting for my safety and um and it just it's just uh overwhelming at times for me to think about how people are putting themselves uh at risk in order to do the things that i have the privilege not to have to do and mm-hmm. that is uh sobering and i send them good energy and love and respect every day um so yeah that's
0: that's that's okay. kind of where
1: i am it's kind of where i am chicky
0: cool <laughs> i love that well and this was awesome so good to see you Thank you for doing this with me. Um, Where can people find you?
1: I have a website. uh, It's uh, intimacydirectorsofcolor.com. It's just a place where you can send me an email if you want to talk. Also, I have uh, an article published on HowlRound under my name. You can kind of read uh, my philosophy on intimacy direction and people of color and uh yeah just stay safe out there contact me if you'd like i'm more than willing to have conversations about this because uh i have a passion for it and um thank you mia for for finding my passion and let me talk about it
0: <laughs> oh my gosh i thank. same to you i mean really i feel like every time i talk to you we're just like pew, 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 pew. yeah <laughs> I'm on Instagram at Mia Schachter, S-C-H-A-C-H-T-E-R, and you can follow the podcast at Podcast. Special thanks to Pete Ciarto at Director Pete on Instagram for recording, editing, and producing help, and to Tyler Field for the music. You can reach me at podcast at sharethelodeinc.com with questions or comments. If you find these episodes enriching or educational, please consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash Load. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take good, care. Um, yeah, have a good one. Thank you.